Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. If you're new to the Av, um, and you're catching us in the middle of a series, um, we've been preaching uh, kind of since the beginning of the year about corporate worship. And because we are a melting pot and a theological, liturgical gumbo of traditions, um, there, there's just things that we just don't want to assume, right, that everybody knows why and what we're doing, how we're doing. Uh, they had somebody dance at a Presbyterian church, y'all. That's right. Amen. It's going to happen again, more. And it's going to happen unscripted. Is Megan in the house? Where Megan at? Megan, the limits ain't here. Y'all, y'all don't see, but Megan be cutting up back there in that corner. You don't ever get it sometimes. She be right back there, and this baby, she be in there. I wish she was here today just so she can get further licensed. Um, but truthfully, what I wanted to do since the beginning of the year is try to comb through and, and just sift through all the expressions of public worship, really kind of recenter us on what the church of God has been doing since the inception of the church. Like, what is it that, you know, no matter, we do realize whether you are non-denominational, Anglican, Baptist, Presbyterian, whatever, um, that those are expressions, right? But there are worship elements that are at the core that if you are not doing those, you are not doing Christian worship, right? So if you're not preaching from the Bible, you might be worshiping, but you're not worshiping Jesus, right? If you're not praying, if you're not being called to worship and you don't understand that that's a part of your redemption plan, that you didn't just get forgiven, you were called into something, a living organism, with the head who is not your senior pastor, but his name is Jesus. See, and if you don't understand that, you might be going to church, but you're not doing church according to Scripture. So what are the things that cut across all the denominations that, that we do? And then particularly, what are the things that we do in this house, and how does that resonate to us? And at the beginning and all through it, we wanted you to remind you that when we put these things together, that we are actually habitualizing you in a certain way. Like we have the freedom to move and construct these things however we really want to. There's not a scripture that says, hey, y'all got to have a song here and a song there, right? That's not nowhere in there, right? But we are, every week when we sit down and we put these things together, we are trying to rehearse the story of the gospel with you. That you've been called to worship. We praise him, right? That, that. After we receive that praise, we confess our sins, we receive that pardon, we offer gifts, we sit willingly, we hear the word of the, of the Lord, and then we are blessed and sent out on a mission. And we're not just told to do things that we don't have the resources to do, we're reminded the benediction is a blessing, right? That I go before you, beside you, around you, and I'm arming you with everything you need to be the people I called you to be in the world. So that as you come here 52 Sundays of year, that the liturgy that we use becomes the liturgy of your life. 
that when you wake up in the morning, you're reminded, I'm not just called to worship on Sunday. I'm called to worship on Monday, on Tuesday, in February, in July, and that in August, I'm being sent out. That in December, I need to hear God's word as nourishment to my soul. That in March, I need to come to the Lord's table even as often as I eat and drink. We're trying to form you through the worship. Worship is not just a collection of random things that surround preaching. Amen, somebody. And so today, we land on prayer. And prayer um, is a staple of Christianity. I think if in the house, we understand that, yes, prayer is a part of the deal. But as I was preparing this message, um, I don't know. I'm just throwing something out there. I don't know if you're, I'm not speaking matter-of-factly. But of all the major religions, it seems to me that prayer is inherent, right? It's what we do. But Christianity is, to me, it seems like the major religion that's associated with prayer the least. It's like we kind of know Muslims pray five a day, like that's what they do. We kind of know like Buddhists, they sit and they, whatever the thing, and they zen, they try to get the, you know, the situation, right? But that's what they do. And I think we have plenty of calls from Scripture that should, if we were actually doing it correctly, we should be up there, up there. Like, it should be inherent to what it means to be Christian. Pray at all times, Ephesians 6. In Luke 18, Jesus, as he gets ready to disciple his people, he says, men ought always to pray. Right, Colossians, continue faithfully in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. I'm just wondering. We got to move up the list, y'all. We got to climb the rankings. Is your life associated with prayer? Do people know you as someone who is about prayer? Well, that's a whole other thing. But today, what we want to hearken our minds to is the importance of prayer and corporate worship. Why is it do we pray here? And what are we trying to accomplish? Um, I hope you see over the past five, maybe six years that We do a whole lot of prayers, right? Before y'all get here, we meet together and we're praying before worship. We're in invocations, right? Inviting the Holy Spirit to be uh, with us. And and we we lost it. I'm trying to regain it. But shutting this place down at like 945 and it's quiet in here. And all you people, you're Christian. You're not supposed to love one another. Well, I'm going to tell you one thing. Don't love one another between 9.45 and 10 in here. Go downstairs and love on each other and eat donuts. But I want this place at 9.45 to kind of shut down and have a calm and a focus. Like, Lord, we want you. We need you, right? That's what we want this place to be. And we do written prayers. We do uh, extemporaneous prayers. We do prayers of thanksgiving, confession. We do deliverance prayer. We want to do all kind of prayer. Amen, somebody? And I love the fact that you had written prayers in here. You had extemporaneous. And one of the things that I read from um, a great Reformed um, theologian, Hughes Oliphant O, he wrote all these books on the orders of worship and how you kind of move and do your thing. But he says one thing that I really appreciate, that spontaneity and the written prayers should work together. They should complement one another. So I want us to be a place where literally I'm going to be, hey, pray now. Did you at that place? So I'm sorry if that seems shocking and scary to you. 
They got another place. They won't ever actually do nothing. But I'm expecting when you come to the house of the Lord, you're bringing your worship with you. You're bringing your communication with you, and we're all ready to serve when we're called upon. I'm sorry. I can't just tell you when we're going to spring you into service. I might see a woman here crying. I might say, hey, get up, Lydia. It's time now. And I don't care what you've written down or haven't. Bring your relationship with you now. We have need of you. But you know that that same Holy Spirit that works extemporaneously and spontaneously, he works with you on Monday when you're preparing in your quiet time. You know, sometimes we, put those, we pit those things against each other. And I praise God. That's one of the things that I've learned as a Presbyterian pastor is literally, hey, man, you know, I don't have to fight these parts of me. Like there's parts of me that God has gifted with a gift of faith and a word of knowledge. And sometimes God is moving with me in the moment and I'm just going. And then sometimes God is so sweet to me on Tuesday with my Bible open, downloading as I'm reading commentaries, as I'm listening to pot, the Holy Spirit is just as powerful then as he is now. So stop pitting spontaneity and organization against, and preparation against one another. That's a false dichotomy. Do you hear what I'm saying? Especially as we do this stuff, right? As we pray together and we come from various traditions. You know, some of y'all come from certain traditions that if somebody got up and started reading a prayer, you would say, oh, my gosh. That person ain't filled with the Holy Spirit. He read a prayer. Some of y'all come from places where somebody came up without things written down. You would, poor word choice. Not here. We need both. To do what God's called us to do, we need both. When I talk about essentially maybe these three to four core things that God's people have done before they had orders of service and prayer, prayer teams and cloths, all of God's people, we kind of get a glimpse of in Acts 2.42, that from the very first time that the church began, they gathered together for the breaking of the word, prayer. Prayer was always central. And we want to make sure that our worship services are always saturated with prayer. Amen, somebody? So I got a whole bunch of D's in the spirit of alliteration and black preaching today. All of your points will be with D's. What does public, what does worship in the corporate setting demonstrate? It demonstrates dependence. It demonstrates our priesthood. It declares the gospel. It demonstrates the power of unity. It demonstrates discipleship and divine connection. They'll come on the screen, so. I'll just read it one more time. It demonstrates dependence. Our priesthood as believers declares the gospel, the power of unity, discipleship, and divine connection. Dependence. If you're a Christian, Christianity 101, you came. I think I was talking to um, Kenyatta. We were talking yesterday. And I said, girl, she, I don't, I'm going to put, this is, we can do this. I know what church she come from. We was talking, she was crying, and the enemy was trying to work her over, remind her that she ain't this, she ain't forgiven, she ain't delivered. And, and she was like, I, you know, what do I need to do, PT? Well, I said, what do you need to do? I said, how did you become a Christian? She was like, well, I just I started getting my life together. I said, stop it. I said, you came because you couldn't fix yourself. 
As said, Colossians says, so as we were brought in, we continue. You never graduate past your dependence, Christian. And I pray that our prayers in worship remind everybody we still need Jesus more than when we first came. Woo. Some of y'all like, oh, man, you know what? When I was out there chasing women and I was out there lying and stealing or whatever, oh, I really needed Jesus. But I'm good. Ooh, Jesus. Oh, if you're not convinced, my friends, that you need Jesus more now than when you first began, something's wrong, my sister and my brother. And I pray that our worship services through our prayers demonstrate that we are God's sheep. We need our shepherd. Can I get a witness, somebody? Our prayers demonstrate that we are utterly dependent and desirous of God in his presence. That's why we pray in worship. Because we want to demonstrate we're dependent and that we're desirous of God. Our prayers and worship demonstrate our priesthood. Everybody said, we are priests. He has made us a kingdom of priests to God to reign with the Son. Y'all remember singing that lyric? Do you know what it means? Ooh, kind of. Chris Tomlin sang it, so it must be right, Lord. <laughs> hey, that's me. The 67th book of the Bible written by Timothy Keller. If Tim said it, it must be right. I just going to say it. The priesthood of all believers. It's just the doctrine that we as believers, because of the finished work of Christ, we now share in his priestly status. Right? So that veil was torn. Right? And so now there is nothing that separates us from access to God. This was a doctrine that really had to be clarified, especially as people were moving, moving out of early Roman Catholicism, right? Where people were, under, were just under the understanding that, hey, man, if I needed my sins forgiven, I got to go to the priest. And if I, if I need my sins forgiven, I got to do this and I got to do that. And this is just a reminder there, there you need no mediation. Jesus Christ has taken care of all of that. He is our Pontifus Maximus now. And now he's made you now priests with him. I've made for myself a royal priesthood. Which now just means that we have things to do. Priests are the bridge between sinful humanity and God. And we act on behalf of each other and the rest of humanity. And there might not be a more powerful way to fulfill our role as priests than when we pray together corporately for ourselves in our world. When we come together for corporate worship, we, we got to remember, Jesus in 1 Peter 2, 9, he didn't say, I'm creating a new race and a royal priest, did he? I'm just going to save me one person. No, the singular stuff has stopped. Jesus is the last time one person going to do one thing in the kingdom. You have to be conditioned to know that now when the scriptures are calling you, you are being called as a collection of people. And it doesn't matter just what God is doing in Mobile or Memphis or Arkansas. It's what he's doing always around the world. And we have to constantly keep our minds on that. One commentator just says, worship no longer. This is a fear that he has. It's a fear that we've lost sight of the great community that we are as God's people. He says, worship no longer is the public prayer of God's people. It becomes a private and individual experience. 
I wonder if that's true for us today. When, when we come to church, it's more like I come to church. What can I get? What do I need to hear? Instead of understanding the responsibility that we carry as priests, that we come together to accomplish a mission that we cannot do apart from one another. But the Bible not only directs us to pray with each other, but it asks us to pray for each other. That's what we do as priests. We offer prayers to God, right? One writer says the, recent, the review of the ancient prayers of worship strongly reveals that worship not only contains prayer, but is the prayer of the church for the life of the world and the welfare and salvation of all its inhabitants. One of the things we do as priests is we act as intercessors on behalf of ourselves and the whole world. Is that biblical? Yes. Pray that the kingdom comes. Pray that more of the kingdom is reflected in the earth realm. That's what our Lord asked us to do. Old says this, says that in prayer, the church continues the ministry of intercession that Jesus began on earth and completes in heaven. You want to be Christ-like? Do what Jesus did and what he is doing. You know what G where Jesus is at now? He's sitting at the right hand of God, interceding. He's praying. That's what he's doing. You want to be Christ-like? Pray. And pray for others. And pray in collection with the whole body of Christ. When you come together in assemblies of worship to pray, and we pray for this coming kingdom, we pray for the progress of the gospel, for the reforming of society, we see that in 1 Timothy, and the building up of the church. This is why we pray and worship. Robert Reber wrote a book about how he considers all of worship prayer. And in that prayer, we declare the story of the gospel. And that's my third point, that when we pray publicly in worship, we declare the story of the gospel. He says, worship as prayer in which we actually lift God's own story up to him as a prayer with praise and thanksgiving. So actually, some people would even look at all of the Psalms as prayers, right? That, hey, man, what's actually happening, that really can all be categorized as prayer. We're doing praise. We're doing thanksgiving, but we're still praying. And that's actually scriptural, Philippians 4, that, hey, with prayer and thanksgiving, we make our supplications known. Some of y'all need to stop separating them. It's like, right now, I'm just going to tell God what I need. Well, you're not actually being obedient. Because he said, do it with praise and with thanksgiving. Mix it all up together. Mix it all up together. Some of y'all need to be in the, in the middle of, Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. Lord, I just want to pray for the salvation of my friends. Some of you in the middle of it. Just do it in the middle of it. And I wonder, I wonder because we've missed that theological point, we have turned the exercise of prayer, which is meant to build hope in God's people, we've turned it into worry sessions that end up discouraging God's people. That's why you're not faithful in prayer, because actually what ends up happening is you bring 50 concerns, you never mix it with praise, you never mix it with thanksgiving, and you're more defeated after you leave prayer than encouraged. Now, come on now. 
Say, I give you prayer so you can communicate with me, so you can cast your burdens and your anxieties. You should never leave prayer more defeated than when you started. Side point, that wasn't even in the note. <laughs> Come on, man. And when we pray, just like Scripture, we're not on this cultural hug bug about, man, how many Scriptures are in that one song? It's not a hymn. All right. There are great places that do that for you. All they're going to give you is a 1,600-word essay in musical form. And my God, it is beautiful. But that's not the only thing we're going to do here. We're going to sing a lot of songs, and we're going to do a lot of vamping. And you vamp people, we're going to sing some, some hymns with five stanzas, and it ain't going to repeat. And so you're going to have to get over yourselves too. Everybody got to lean in a little bit if you want to do multi-ethnic church. If you want to do mono-ethnic, you can go down the road. It's tangent. But in all of those things, we want all of the songs to be saturated with Scripture. The lifter of my head, Psalms 121, Psalms 3, it's saturated. The lifter, the lifter, lifter of my head. Now, it's a lot of repetition, but it's the Word of God. And in the same principle, we want to do that with our prayers, too. We want our prayers saturated with Scripture. I was just, I was like, ooh, man, First Peter, ooh, man, Psalms, ooh, loaded, saturated, rich, right? I'm not concerned about you wordsmithing. I don't care about whether or not you're going to be a seminary professor. But there's power in the Word. When you hold God to His Word, so the more you can pray from Scripture the more you can pray confidently. Your word says, that's how my kids get me twisted up. Daddy, you said. And the good news for you is you don't have a begrudging dad. You got a good father who wants to do good things for you. Hold him at his word. So we want to pray with rich scriptural language as often as we can, and we want to make much of the Trinity as we pray and as we think about the gospel story and as we pray it out, we want people to feel, you know, as they hear us pray, we want them to be thinking of how they fit inside of that gospel narrative. D, prayer demonstrates the power of unity. Psalms 133 and 1, behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. In the church assembly, man is called above all to lay aside his cares for everything that is only his own, personal, private, and as it were to dissolve himself and what his own in the prayer of the whole church. Church teaches you to be less self-absorbed. And when we come here, as we just heard the word of God preached over us last week in 1 Peter 3 and 8, that we are to be like-minded. And there's no way that we can truly be like-minded and close that fist and de deliver that punch we need to if we have 250 agendas. What happens is, is that if we are doing our thing faithfully, 
we come together for the sole purpose of exalting Christ. And you have to trust that if you put Christ in his business first, he's going to take care of yours. But we got to get away from 21st century Christian. I don't have time to think about that. My money is not right. I don't have time to pray for that because my relationship. I don't have time to be concerned about whether or not the gospel is being preached in the 1040 window because right now, that's not Bible. The Bible is if you seek him first, he going to take care of you. That's a guarantee, Charles Barkley said. <laughs> Unity is a divine gift that brings divine success and growth and glory. You believe that? That's why we make every effort, Ephesians 4 said, we make every effort to maintain unity and keep the bond of peace. There's so much power when we are on one accord. Some of y'all have been in worship services in this, even in this place, when you have experienced the power of our unity, whether it is collective silence. How many of y'all have been in here when it's just a collective hush over this house and nobody need to say nothing? We, what, what, what's, what's understood don't even need to be said. Come on, how many of y'all have been in here in this place where collectively one of us is hurting and all of a sudden all you hear is just murmuring, and you know what's going on. You know those prayers are going up, and you know we are fighting for our brothers and sisters. Oh, and you know you, and not only do you know, you're confident, right, because you know and you see and witness the power of unity. There are so many times when, where Ox stops and y'all are singing, and I can hear everybody in unison on one accord, and my heart just swells because it is the power of being on one accord. Prayer gives us that unique opportunity when we do it corporately, not privately, not on Monday, but when we come here, we could chase a whole lot more demons together than we can apart. That's why we pray together. That's why we create space in our worship. Not to just, we don't just give you a list, say, hey, go home and pray for that. No, we all need to pray for that right now. Prayer is about discipleship. The worship shapes us. The order of service shapes us. And our prayer shapes us too. You know, I, I oftentimes encourage young couples. I think I was, um, shoot. I was with uh, Lex and Jay. We were just talking, getting ready to get married, just about sometimes the ignorance of young couples, maybe old couples too, who's like, they, they have an issue and they're like, Baby, let's just talk it out. <laughs> Pastor Larry, I know you done counseled a lot of couples. And there's a whole lot of couples that tried to talk a lot of things out, and they left worse than when they started. Now, I'm not against communication by any means. But I am in no way putting talking it out on the same bar as prayer. God has done more things in my marriage through prayer than me and Gina sitting down together. I'll, I'll bet my house on it. God then did more things in my marriage through me getting on my knees and crying out before God than hours of us just sitting down and trying to get two human simple hearts on the same page. No, bro. 
I got mountains I can't move. I got problems I can't solve. God, I need your help. I need wisdom. I need clarity. I need you to fix me. My wife is trying to communicate, but I'm missing her. Help me understand. I don't need her to say it again. I just need to understand what's going on. I hear her clearly, but I can't see her, God. Help me. Because you can hear people's heart when they pray. I pray that when people come here, not even just when we're preaching, that by the things that we pray for, people are like, oh, they care about that. Oh, they care about that. And they care about their community. And they care about other churches. And they care about their ministry. You can get a list of our priorities while we pray. That's why we pray in corporate worship. And we also pray to disciple our younger people. I told y'all about that. We got to stop just relegating discipleship to, yeah, let me do a Bible study with you. No, young boy, come, come over here. Watch me pray. I didn't have enough time, but I was going to put it on the screen. Margo sent me a picture. But this is like a year and a half ago. Y'all know Morgan, who we baptized six months ago? Kasali, who got saved a year ago? It must have, it was, I think it was Lee, if I'm not mistaken. Lee, one of our elders at this church, was on the back row, and he was bent over. I don't know if he was crying, but he was bent over in worship. They sent me a picture with the two fresh converts with their hands on him. Because nobody told them to do that, but they just understood by being in this house, that's what we do. That's what we do. We just habitualize you. Okay. We move. We pray. All of us. It's discipleship. I pray you get the benefit of having family devotion. Some of you all, and sitting with your kids, and four years later, just hearing them pray. I laugh sometimes. It's like, man, sometimes I just want to stop the prayer. Boy, that was a good prayer, boy. And then they start praying your verbiage. Father God, I love you, and I thank you. They're laughing because they know. They can hear the tenor in my voice. They hear the phrases of a man about 30 years older than me. He's my daddy. And I've been hearing him pray for 40 years. And guess what? Some of my prayer language is his. Don't waste the opportunity to pray. You are helping shape your spouse. You are helping shape your accountability, brother and sister. You are helping to shape your children, and you are definitely helping to shape this church. Pray and pray often and definitely pray when you come to church. Prayer, lastly, demonstrates our divine connection. Prayer demonstrates our divine connection to God and expectation that God hears us and he responds. In the ESV, they wrote a little commentary on 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. It said pray, praying without ceasing, it just implies a mental attitude of continual personal fellowship with God. 
And it's a consciousness of being in his presence throughout the day. So it implies if you're always praying, then it just implies that, oh, I'm united with God. You actually believe that. Oh, I'm united with God. I have access to God, and he hears me. I had two boys first, and then I had a daughter. My God. I don't know, we were somewhere, and I remember just texting Gina. I think Gina had the boy somewhere, and I just had Lily. And um, I was like, baby, did she talk this much with you? <laughs> oh, loud. <laughs> oh, I think it was a snowstorm. It was a snowstorm. We ended up in the same room for a couple of hours. I was helping her clean, and she was doing some things. I'm telling you, if it was 30 seconds of silence, I must be lying, brother. And we were about three hours deep in that thing. Man, and she loved it every minute of it. Didn't need me to chip in. She just, you know, because I know my daddy's listening. I know what you say you believe, but where are your receipts at? I know you praise God for justification, but, what, but do you live like you have access to God? Constantly talking to him all the time. And when we come corporately, we want to demonstrate that. Like we're not a people with a pseudo-theism kind of thing where, hey, God's done a thing, and then he just sets us over there, and he just tells us to do something until he comes back. We want to demonstrate by praying and praying a lot in corporate worship that we're not only dependent, but we actually are connected to God. Them people actually feel like they're talking to God when they pray at church. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Come on, man. What y'all talking about? Yes, sir. Oh, I thought those were just the poems y'all read from ancient people. Oh, no, no. We actually believe cell service is not interrupted. We talking to God. You believe that? Do you believe that in here, that when we pray together, we actually believe we have reception and God is hearing us? I think that the devil is a better theologian than us. And I think he does a lot of work, especially in prayer, to keep us discouraged, to keep us defeated, to convince us that we're bored, to convince us that that designated time is futile, that it's just rote. I think he does a lot of work in that because he actually knows how much power we have when we pray. I think he knows. And he will do any. Who is most invested in you faltering in prayer? That's what you got to keep in mind. Who wants me to stumble here and stall out? And why? It's the one who, is, who knows that death has been defeated on your behalf. It's the one who knows that the veil has been torn. It's the one who knows, my God, they have direct access to the God of the universe. And if they actually started believing that, we in trouble. Will you pray? But not only 
will you pray? But when we come together, it's just reminded, kingdom of priests, we need you. And your prayers matter for ourselves, for the world. We are now intercessors. And that is a primary part of our job description. To get our eyes off the eye and to get it on the we. Let's pray.